please turn with me in your Bibles. If you have them, turn them on if you have a digital Bible. We are going to be in two passages today, really just looking at two uh, separate verses in two different passages. And so, um, Gold Star students, we're going to be in Psalm 55, and we are also going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So Psalm 55, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Thank you. Uh, for being here with us this morning at the well. My name is Joshua Cahill. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we see uh, lots of new faces this morning, and so I'd love to connect with you after the service. Uh, looking forward to a great day today as we dive a little deeper into our series, um, Old Paths, New Powers. Old Paths, New Powers. And so we've been talking about prayer. We've looked at different aspects of prayer. And today, um, I want us to see how we become a person of prayer. How do we become a person of prayer? And so uh, most of us, I think if, if we've been a Christian for any length of time, or if you've been in church for any length of time, I think we would all agree uh, that we want to be more effective in prayer. If you would agree with that, just raise your hand. If you want to be more effective in prayer. Well, we all know what it is to pray, but often we find that we're really not praying. We're really not praying. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 21, in Mark 11, and in Luke 19, that his father's house was to be a house of prayer. And so he said this, mind you, he said this as he was in the temple flipping tables because they had made his temple a den of thieves. So Jesus is coming in and telling people this is supposed to be a place of, of prayer. So what Jesus was really saying to these men in the New Testament was that God wants his people to be seeking him through prayer. That's how we commune with God. And one of the best places and one of the best ways to seek God is here corporately in church. Would you guys agree with that? Sadly, though, sadly today, most churches are far from a house of prayer. But they're more like emporiums of entertainment. I've sat in multiple churches over my 13 years of ministry and witnessed this very thing. Most churches are not houses of prayer, but rather houses of programs or productions. And when God's house is misused and when it's abused, we will find that he stops showing up. Well, we can have all the symbols of church. God's presence is void. We've seen it all across the world. But sadly enough, we see it most here in America. If you go back with me and read in the Old Testament, not right now, but if we go back and we read in the Old Testament and so... Again, Gold Star students, homework, go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 4. Today, when you leave, go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 4. You will see that the Israelites made a catastrophic mistake of thinking that just because they had the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God was with them, that they actually had God's presence. But you will see if you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 4, the problem was is that God's presence had left them for continual and persistent disobedience. And they somehow thought that if they just brought out the Ark of the Covenant, that they could win an ensuing battle in which was about to occur against the Philistines without repenting or even seeking after God. They thought just because we have this representation of God that everything is going to be okay. 
Well, God's presence was not found in the things that are made by human hands, but they're found in the hearts of those who believe. I'm going to say it again. God's presence is not found in the things that are produced by human hands, but in the hearts of those who believe. He does his best work in the battlefield of the heart, people. His best work. And the battle that day in 1 Samuel chapter 4 on the field ended up in slaughter. And the Israelites died badly. They lost because they learned for just a moment that rabbit foot theology would not work. Rabbit foot theology would not work. If I just have my little cross around my neck, if I have my what would Jesus do bracelet on my arm, then everything's just going to be okay. If I carry around my Bible with me in my car, or it's sitting on my desk, or for students it's sitting in my locker, guess what? This does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. We often have the mindset of Israel and we want God to sort of pop in and out of our lives just when we need him and it's a tragedy for many Christians though and many churches because we really never tap into the power of prayer we never tap into it we often sit here in a crisis and say here God, I need you because I'm in a crisis, I'm in a sickness, I'm in a trial, I'm in pain, I'm in, in some sort of suffering. And so the storm comes and it won't pass and so we automatically go to prayer after everything else. The essence, people, what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, the essence of prayer is to seek God. The essence of prayer is to seek God. We see so many times and so many passages of Scripture that the, the whole purpose of prayer is to, to commune. We are to pursue God's character and His love. We are to learn from Him and allow Him to lead us. You will find that more, the more you know of God, the more your prayers will not only change, but they will increase. They will increase. Now I want to read to you a verse Real quick, Psalm 55, Psalm 55, verse 17. Actually, I'll read 16 first. But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaints and moan, and he hears my voice. Psalm 55, 16 and 17. But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaints and moan, and he hears my voice. Now I want to jump over real quick to 1 Thessalonians 5.17. A verse that's even more familiar to those who have been around church for any length of time. And it says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, most of us know these ver verses. And if we're honest, how many times have you ever heard, especially that last one, pray without ceasing and you felt a little guilty? Anybody? You felt a little guilty. You hear the verse, you read the verse, and you think to myself, man, I'm not praying like that. Anybody? Then, and then it causes questions in your mind. How could I even accomplish something like that? How could I pray without ceasing? And then sometimes these verses will even cause us to not pray, as if to say, well, if that's the standard, there's no way I'm going to achieve that. 
Or we tend to see prayer as a time issue. Or a, a, a talent issue. Oh man, I'm not praying in front of them because they're a better prayer than I am. Or we see it as a timid issue. I will not pray out loud or in public. But we have no problem talking in public. Church, I want to bear my heart to you for a moment this morning. My heart is not to be harsh in any way, but people who do not want to pray in public ever, or they can't seem to carry on an intelligent conversation with God in an open setting, is often a sign of people who are not praying in private. If you can't pray in public, if you can't seem to carry on an intelligent conversation, it's a reflection of your private prayer life. So better let people think you pray than to open your mouth and show them that you don't. I want you to see this quote on the screen this morning. Most Christians can make a prayer request for just about anything, but they can't seem to pray for nothing. The reality is that if a church is ever going to have a high priority on prayer and to be a house of prayer, then we as individuals must become people of prayer. When I stepped foot into this church for the very first time, the very first time, back in January, there was a, a sign that hung here on the wall that said that this church was prayerfully dependent. It's something that we've brought into our leader meetings. It's something that we talked about when we had our members meeting. We are to become a house of prayer. That's why we've, we're doing this topic. That's why we're talking about it. That's why at the end of the last two weeks, we've been praying before we left together corporately. Those two simple verses here this morning and many others like them must not be seen through the lens of human sinfulness. We have to stop looking at God's word through our sinfulness. To do so produces the very thoughts that I mentioned to you. That I'm not good enough. I cannot pray. I can't pray better than this person. And it prevents us from praying, from seeking God. But rather these passages here, when they're understood correctly through spiritual eyes, we discover for ourselves that prayer brings out a desire and an alignment with God's will and our perspective will change and our petitions will change and our very person begins to look different. If we can understand three basic things this morning concerning prayer, it will help us stay on course. It will help us to become people of prayer. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is that prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. Worship, we talked about in our last series, is to seek God. It's the realization that God is worthy, but that we are needy. You see, prayer begins with a confession, and immediately it's admitting that you are in need of help. David, all throughout the book of Psalms, continuously says over and over and over, but I called to him, and he answered me. I called to him, and he answered me. He says it repeatedly, over and over and over. David is always saying, I am in need of something that I cannot do in myself, but I know God can provide it. Prideful people don't pray. I'm going to say that again, church. Prideful people don't 
pray. Prideful people don't want to worship. They want to be worshipped and worship something or someone other than God. People who are not praying tend to have no joy in their soul. They're not glad. I mean, it's hard to worship God and be in a state of, mini- um, a state of misery, is it not? Psalm 40, verse 16 says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer, O God. O God. And as we worship God in and through prayer, all we're doing is centering ourselves on Him. We're working at discovering God's agenda for our life first and then praying in obedience in mind instead of bringing our agenda before God. Church, that starts with recognizing that prayer is worship. But the thing we also need to see is that prayer is work. Prayer is work. Anyone struggle praying? Anyone ever feel like praying is a chore? I promise I'm not going to call you out or make fun of you. All for honesty in church. Yep, raise your hand. Great. Prayer is work. You know, the disciples were on to something last week we looked when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They did not ask Jesus, teach us how to preach. They never asked Jesus, teach us how to teach or to heal or to sing or to write. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Pray. They overheard Jesus praying and they saw him praying and they said something is not right and we need this and we have a desire to have something from the Lord. Prayer is work just like relationships are work. Prayer is you communicating to God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever worked through tiredness? You've had to work or parented through tiredness. How many of you have worked or parented through distractions? Or bringing forth your own motives. How many of you have done those things and you are not authentic in doing them? Yes, I think we all have found ourselves in those categories. Listen, I don't talk to my wife because I have to. I do not talk to my wife because I have to, but because I want to. Yes, there are times where I'm tired. Yes, there are times when I'm distracted. distracted. Yes, there are times when I've brought my own agenda or my own worries and my own fears, but those things do not prevent me from talking to my wife. Anyone struggle communicating with their spouse? My wife and I used to struggle to communicate. Um... Our communication was very poor in the early years of our marriage. And we had to learn over the course of of many years and many fights, many times of miscommunication, we had to learn the importance of making time to talk and having meaningful conversation. And when we did that, 
our relationship moved into a new level. Something deepened in our love for one another because we were able to converse and not yell and scream at each other like children who didn't get their way. So church, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand that we should not boil prayer down to just a discipline. It comes to a desire, and that desire leads to desperation for being in the presence of God. You see, what's available to us through prayer and discovering this gets us to the point where we never want to go without it. Prayer is worship. Prayer is work. You notice a pattern. We talked about this verse last week in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 where it says that in the morning Jesus rising up a great while before the day he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. He had time. And for some mornings are usually best. For Jesus he had a place. A place of minimal distractions. And when he went, he went with a purpose. He was praying to commune with his father and to prepare for the day and what was to come. And it all took work. He woke up. He got up. He got alone with God. You see, prayer is worship. It's work. But the last thing I want you to see this morning is that prayer is warfare. There's warfare in prayer. When we pray... Believe it or not, we are declaring war on our flesh. We are declaring war on our problems, our plans, our dreams, our wants, because to pray is to say, Lord, your will be done. Spiritual warfare takes place as we intercede for others and we cry out to God for help. And as we pray for our homes and our relationships and leadership and churches, we're waging war against Satan. Do you understand that Satan does not want you to pray, church? Satan does not want you to pray for God's will be done. But we do know, because of the end of this book, we do know that Satan will lose the war. It's over. It's done. So why are we not praying? Why are we not seeking God's will for our lives and for our marriages and for our children and for our church and for our community? Why? Why, church? We're saying, God, I want to yield to your control. The enemy doesn't want you to pray, and here's the reason why. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. To pray is to give control to a power that is greater than your enemy. To pray is to submit and obey to the one who has already given us victory. To pray is to accept who we are in Christ and acting and living that out. Your enemy and your flesh are no match for the spirit that is inside of you, church. And when you pray, your enemy has no chance of winning. So to pray is to worship. To pray is to work. And to pray is to warfare. And in thinking about these three things... What is something practical that we could do this morning? 
something practical in, in a way that we can apply these truths to our life. The reality is simple prayer is our lifeblood. And if we don't set out to pray and make a point of praying, it's never going to happen. Your heart pump, your blood, and your prayers will ultimately guide your life. So I want to challenge us with something this morning. I want to challenge us to learn and to live a principle that will help us set a pace in our lives. A pace, according to the dictionary, is defined as a step, a walk, a movement. As a church, I'm challenging you to begin your day with a pace, a step, a walk, a movement. And you will see here in just a moment what I mean when I say to set a pace. There are going to be some words that are going to pop up in just a moment onto the screen. They're going to be a challenge to you to pray four very specific prayers. Very, very specific prayers. Note takers, I want you to write, write it down. If you're not a note taker, take pictures. Get out your phone and snap a picture of the screen if you have to so that you don't forget it. I want you to set a pace, pace of prayer. And you will see how each one of these words will tie into the three areas of prayer. To, to worship, to work, and to warfare. And so the first one I want you to see is the word praise. In just a moment we're going to put these into practice. And I'm going to ask you to please get alone with God when we start. And the first thing I want you to do is to pray a prayer of praise. Don't ask God for anything at all. Praise him first. Worship. The second one is accept. The word accept. Realize, people, who you are in Christ and accept what his word says about you as one of his children. Worship and work. The letter C is commit. Commit yourself to obedience. Do you know Proverbs 16.3 says to commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established? Your thoughts will be established. If I commit myself to truth, if I commit to obedience, my thoughts will align with godliness. You see work here and you also see warfare because you're going to wage war against your flesh when you commit to obedience. And the last is the letter E, embrace. Embrace. Tell God that you're choosing to embrace all that he has for you. No matter what life brings you today, I will choose to embrace you, Lord. And know that you are secure in Christ. And that you will choose to embrace others as you have been embraced. And so, church family, I want to challenge you this morning... In just a moment, to stand, to kneel at your seat, to come to the altar, and to pray through pace. Pray a prayer of praise. Pray a prayer to accept, to commit, and to embrace. And I will come up in just a little bit, and I'm going to close us in prayer. But it's, it's crucial 
to you, to myself, to begin to develop prayer as a part of who we are in Christ. So church, will you set a pace today with me in prayer? I'm going to ask you at this time, if you would please stand, kneel, come to the altar, wherever it is that you feel comfortable praying, begin to pray, praise, accept, commit, embrace.